It was a debacle. It was a disaster. This text from 2 Samuel describes what is probably the worst scene in David's life that plays out over a period of several days, a couple of weeks. He tries, he tries to hide it, but he's not able to hide it. His plans for, for putting it under the rug so that nobody will see it don't come to fruition in the way that he thinks they should. And when all is said and done, David, the man after God's own heart, David, God's anointed over Israel, has committed not only adultery but murder. It helps us to look at exactly what goes on in this text and what happens in these verses. And we see, to begin with, a couple of things. First of all, we see that David is in the wrong place. Now, I don't just mean that he's on the roof looking out over the city. I mean, David is in the wrong place for a man who is king over Israel. Look at how this passage begins. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, this is the time... When, you know, winter is over with, everybody's got a little bit of energy that's been stored up, and so kings take their armies out to fight one another. That's what's expected in the spring of the year when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab, the commander of the army, with his officers and with all Israel with him, and they ravaged the Ammonites, they besieged Rabbah, but, and this is a big transition, but David remained at Jerusalem. In the spring, when kings go out with their armies, when David might have been expected to go out with the army of Israel, David chose instead to stay at home in his palace while his fighting men engaged in battle elsewhere. David was idle. You can probably finish this. My mama told me, idleness is... The devil's workshop. When you don't have anything to do, when you don't have any responsibilities, when there's nothing going on, you can get yourself into all kinds of trouble. And David might have done what kings do, which is go out to battle with their armies, but instead, David chose to be idle and chose to stay at home. The Bible describes this in a way that is incredibly matter-of-fact. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch, having surfed Netflix as long as he could without standing up, having eaten all of the snacks that his servants had brought to him and feeling some desire to move around. He rose from his couch and he was walking about on the roof of the king's house. It happened that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Now see how all of these things come together for David. 
Number one, there's the place. He's not in the place he should be. He should be with his fighting men. He should be leading the army with Joab, but instead he's at home. He is in the wrong place, and he has this opportunity. This opportunity to do something that he wants to do. This opportunity to look out over Jerusalem when, when almost all of the men are gone. He has this opportunity to lie around on his couch until he gets tired of doing that and then tries to do something else. And he has this desire. And as king, whatever desire he has is a desire that can reasonably be expected by a monarch, especially one who's a despot, to be fulfilled. And David makes a decision. And after that decision, there is disaster. All of these things come together to bring about the worst scene in David's life. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. And it was reported, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of the great soldiers in Israel's army. It's not like David didn't know who she was. So David sent messengers to get her. And she came to him. And he lay with her. The woman conceived. And then she sent word and told David, I am pregnant. If you've ever done something you're not proud of, if you've ever done something that's going to cause tremendous embarrassment for you or your family, you go into this kind of desperate fixing mode. I've got to hide what I've done. I've got to explain away what I've done. I've got to put some kind of plan in motion. And so David hatches this plan to keep his actions hidden. And the plan is a reasonable one. It has a potential for success if... Uriah does what David wants him to do, which is come home, enjoy a couple of days away from the battlefield, and go back. Problem is, Uriah is an honorable man. And not only is Uriah an honorable man, the literary critic in me says, you know, Uriah may well know what's going on here. Is there anything that's really as secret as we hope it is? Is there anything that's really hidden? You, you notice that David sent someone to inquire against uh, about the woman. There's one other person besides David who knows what's going on. And then David sent messengers to go and get her. There's another group of people who know what's going on. And so we wonder... In addition to Uriah being an honorable man, we wonder if Uriah has suspicions and if Uriah's demonstration that he is a more righteous man than David come from this awareness. But Uriah doesn't comply with David's plan. Here's David's plan. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And so when Uriah came to him, David says to him, tell me how things are going out on the battlefield. 
And Uriah's like, you're calling me? Wouldn't a messenger have, have done? Instead, you're calling me to see how things are going on the battlefield, how the war is going. And then David said, well, while you're here, go down to your house. Wash your feet. And so Uriah went out of the king's house. There followed a present from the king. And here's where Uriah doesn't comply with David's hopes. Instead of leaving the palace grounds, he sleeps at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of the king, and he does not go down to his house. And when they tell David, um, Uriah didn't go down to his house. David says to him, you've just come from a journey, man. Why don't you go home and rest a little bit? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah says to David, the ark, this symbol of God's presence with his people, and Israel and Judah, they remain in tents on the battlefield. And, and Joab, who I report to, he may very well be engaged in a deadly battle right now. They're all camping out in the open field. And you want me to go to my house to eat and drink when they're having rations? You want me to go to my house and lie down with my wife and in comfort and in luxury? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. The Ark of the Covenant, the warriors, they're not in luxury. Am I to be? Uriah says. The warriors are facing mortal danger and you want me to go home and play Xbox? You want me to go home and, and eat a nice meal while everybody else has got rations? Should I have a feast? David gives Uriah one more chance. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. And so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, and on the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk, thinking that if his judgment were just, were just changed a bit, impaired a bit, David made him drunk thinking that he would forget his honor and do what he had not done before. But in the evening, Uriah went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. Now people who are desperate to hide their misdeeds often multiply them. When you're desperate to hide something you've done, you often do something else. And there's a downward spiral that occurs. And in David's case, he doesn't stop at unfaithfulness. He goes on to commit murder, and he commits murder in one of the most treacherous of ways. I think 2 Samuel 11:14 14, and 15 are two of the most chilling verses in the Bible. 
in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab the commander and placed it in the hand of Uriah. And in the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then back away so that he may be struck down and die. In Uriah's own hand, David sends Uriah's execution order. People desperate to hide their misdeeds often multiply them. The anatomy of David's wrongdoing. Well, first of all, there's idleness. He's not where he needs to be. He's not doing what he needs to be doing. There's just this sense of David the king hanging out in his palace when there's work to be done. There's a country to be run. Pride. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. I can have whatever I want. We'll worry about the consequences later. And I'm king. There shouldn't be any consequences. Pride. David thinking that the only thing that matters is his own desire. The only thing that matters is what he wants. Ruthlessness. He's going to do anything to keep people from finding out. He's going to do anything to save his own skin. And David's character and David's life are from this point forward changed forever. He receives forgiveness, all right. But his life is never quite the same and his rule is never quite the same. There is this infighting over who is going to be in charge, over who actually is going to have the throne. His own son attempts to usurp power from him. There's some lessons that we can gain from David. One of them is beware of the kind of idleness and situations that make wrongdoing easily accessible. Beware of being in a place or in some kind of setting that makes it easily available to you to do something that you're committed not to do. The second lesson is this. Confession and amendment of life, change of life, are the alternatives to this stubborn refusal to own your own misdeeds. Confession and amendment of life are available to us because God loves us. Whenever you see that you are walking close to the darkness. Move toward the light that is Jesus Christ and the will of our mighty and sovereign Lord. Look now at 1 John. and here, Here's sort of the alternative to 
to living as David lived, to this kind of spiraling out of control until destruction occurs. First John 1, 5-9. through 9. John says, This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. When you find yourself walking too close to the shadows, when you find yourself in a place where you know there is grave danger, move toward the light that is Jesus Christ who offers courage and confidence and the ability and willingness to do the right thing even when the right thing is difficult. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, you all who are sinners, including me, And everyone in the world, with the exception of Christ Himself, here is the good news. That we, even when we move too close to the darkness, even when we have crossed over into a space that we didn't want to go into, instead of continuing to try to hide it and cover it up and go into this spiral, this spiral of destruction, that leads to hell itself. Here is the gospel. If we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible to hit the brakes on this spiral of sin that threatens us to take threatens to take us to disastrous places it's possible for us to realize where we're headed and to to say oh god help me to stop it's possible to look at life and and say just to stop and cry out to god that god would give courage and confidence this strength of our will to be able to do the right thing even when the wrong thing is, is calling, calling, calling. David's forgiven. But if you read the accounts of his life in Scripture, you'll understand that after this, there's nothing that's quite the same. His life becomes increasingly difficult. He and Bathsheba will marry, but they will weep together as husband and wife. He will maintain his, his rule over Israel and Judah, but he will maintain that at some cost as his own family plots against him. David receives forgiveness. But life is never quite as it was before this episode took place. The Bible and the Gospel give us the antidote to the kind of death spiral that 
David finds himself in. The Bible and the Gospel give us the the antidote to giving in and suddenly becoming people that we never imagined that we would become. Here is the antidote from Paul. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. And see, everything has become new. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There are some people who say, I just don't believe in the concept of sin anymore. There are many of them. I can look at the newspaper in the evening news and make a case for sin. I can listen to folks who are married who are arguing on the day they say I do they're just oh in love with each other so in love with each other six or seven years later one of them will talk to me about the other he's just the devil himself and he'll say about her nothing I do will satisfy her she's just awful They'll tell me that on Sunday. And then by Thursday, they're in love again. And, you know, there's all this back and forth, back and forth. We can see sin in the streets. We can see it in the newspaper. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can see it in our own hearts. We can see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God offers us His grace. And God offers us the opportunity not to take David's way of wrongdoing multiplied and multiplied again, but to take the gospel way. The gospel way is this. To be made new by God's grace. To be made new by God's grace. Now anytime there are this many people in a room, I can tell you that there are lots of things that we don't know about each other. Who knows? There may even be somebody in the witness protection program seated in this very room. Who knows? Who knows what the past holds and uh, the secrets that may or may not be as dramatic as David's secret. But we live in a world that has been marred by sin and we ourselves participate in that. And the antidote is to, is to have this kind of faith where God makes us new, where we love the Lord with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. The antidote is for us to be new creations in Christ Jesus.
And when we embrace that, the debacle, the disaster, that awful scene like David had in his life can be mitigated by the goodness and generosity of God who can keep us on the narrow path. And even when we're walking, the broad path that leads to destruction can snatch us up and hold us in His embrace and protect us, making us new. Where are you today and what do you have in your past that you wonder about? That you've not made right with God that somehow if you don't watch it will continue to spiral out of control until you don't even recognize who you are. There is good news. You don't have to go there. You can walk in the light of Jesus. You can be made new. You can confess and be made whole. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.